I'd mentioned a few weeks ago that I felt that it was uh, appropriate to speak on the uh, qualifications and requirements of a deacon. Um, the Lord set up the church and he set it up with, with two offices in the church. Just two simple offices. Number one, that is the pastor or the bishop or overseer of the flock. And number two, the role of a deacon. And any time that we try to add to or change the simplicity of how the Lord sets up the church, we don't really help it out. We actually bring about distractions when we do that. The Lord is all sovereign. The Lord is in charge and in control. And he knew exactly what it would take for a church to function and to function well. The Lord could have set up a dozen of different offices in the church if that's what the Lord knew that we needed. But the Lord knew that there were two functions, two offices within the church. And when you have that, when you have uh, the two offices and the two working together, it's for the good of the church and it's for the glory of the Lord. Uh, when the church at Southampton was constituted, uh, it was, um, oh, it's probably been 10 or 15 years ago. Wonderful day. It was, you could feel the presence of the spirit. The Lord was in, in the place. But all of a sudden it came to light that here's a church that uh, is about to be constituted and doesn't have a deacon. Even though there was a gentleman there that was uh, well qualified to serve in this, this capacity, it had not been really discussed or brought to light. And so even during that weekend meeting, different ones discussed it and talked about it and uh, approached the individual. And the individual uh, is Brother Hoyt Balkum. And Brother Balkum agreed to serve in the capacity of a deacon. Now, it's important that an individual that uh, is considered for the role of deacon be one that desires the office of a deacon. It's important that somebody have that desire to fulfill that role. Brother Balkum was ordained at that meeting after the church was constituted, and Brother Balkum has served in that capacity as a model deacon. He's now almost 90 years old, and he has faithfully served in that capacity and served it well. And the church has been blessed at Southampton for the labors of Brother Hoyt Balkum. At Mount Carmel, when I came to Mount Carmel, uh, there were maybe four or five, six deacons that we had at Mount Carmel. And Brother Kilby was one of the, the deacons that were, were here, was here at Mount Carmel. Brother Kilby uh, filled a, a vital role in the year and a half before I came to Mount Carmel. One of the responsibilities, and Brother Kilby reminded me of this, uh, this was 30 years ago. Uh, Brother Kilby was a young man back then, and I was a younger man back then. But before I came to Mount Carmel, there was a year and a half period that Mount Carmel did not have a pastor. 
And so Brother Kilby had the responsibility, he assumed the responsibility, working with the other deacons, to call area ministers to come and fill uh, the appointment on a Sunday morning to make sure that there was always somebody here to preach during the time that Mount Carmel was without a pastor. And he reminded me that he said that he said he was able to secure a minister for a year and a half, for 18 months, every Sunday except one. And he said one Sunday he had called around to various ministers and he was unable to get a commitment out of a minister to come and hold services. And he said, we came to church that morning and he said, the Lord sent a minister. There was a minister traveling the area and he pulled up in the parking lot and he preached that sermon. So Brother Kilby said in a year and a half, we were blessed to have a minister every single Sunday. That was the, one of the responsibilities that Brother Kilby filled. During the last 30 years, we've had at least two times uh, at Mount Carmel, maybe three, that we've, that we've set aside a time to ordain a group of men. And we will touch on that just a little bit more. Some of you were here and you remember that and you witnessed it. Some of you may have not been here, but it's a time that is set aside. The men are questioned about the articles of faith and they acknowledge that they uh, believe the articles of faith. There is a charge that's given, a prayer, uh, a laying on of hands, and that's the process that Mount Carmel usually chooses. I know of some primitive Baptist churches that they appoint deacons and that deacons uh, fill a role, fill that responsibility for a period of time. Maybe they fill that role for five years or ten years. At Mount Carmel, when someone is ordained in the role of the uh, deacon, they fulfill that role and responsibility for life. Brother Jim Dixon was 94 years old and still uh, very much involved even in his latter years. Brother Malcolm in his 80s and Brother Oris Jackson in his 80s as well. Uh, there's a great deal of wisdom. I'm thankful that Brother Kelby is still able to serve in that capacity, even from the standpoint of counsel. Uh, we had an issue here that came up not recently, uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, Brother Kilby said, well, I remember when we had that same issue over 30 years ago. There's some benefit in uh, having the wisdom and counsel of, of an older deacon. During the time, we've ordained probably 10 or 12 men. Some have moved away. Some have passed away, uh, and we are at the point that it would be a blessing to the church to consider the men that are among us that would qualify for this role as a deacon. Brother Kil Kilby is still serving in that capacity. Brother Don Greenfield has not been ordained as a deacon, but he serves and he does just about everything that a deacon would normally do. And we appreciate Brother Don's labors. Some churches set up uh, uh, a church clerk and some have a designated treasure. Brother Don Greenfield basically wears all those hats and he uh, handles the finances, uh, uh, communication that we have among other folks, assisted by Brother Steve Aquino and myself. If, church, if uh, individuals ask for uh, membership transfers. Uh, Brother Don is 
involved in that and the uh, communication that comes through the church. And so we appreciate that. In Acts chapter 6, we see where the Lord implemented the role of a deacon. And we'll see uh, what the uh, requirements are and why the Lord implemented this and what the primary responsibility is for a deacon. A deacon can be a great blessing to a church. A deacon can be a wonderful blessing to a pastor. In fact, I know a minister that was giving a charge and he said, the deacons and pastors should be best friends in the church. They should labor in that capacity. A deacon oftentimes has the opportunity to know the status of the church, the needs of the church. A deacon can oftentimes squelch a problem before it gets big. You know, sometimes if you don't address something early on, it continues to grow. One of the first deacons that I met in, in West Texas was an old, a wise old deacon named uh, Brother Towns, and he was in his 80s. And to show you a little bit of his wisdom uh, in his old age, somebody came to him one time and, and told him, went to his house, and it was an individual that was trying to stir something up. And they went to his house and they said, uh, Brother Towns, we figured out who it is that's buttering the bread at the Lubbock Church. And he said, I beg your pardon? And they said, we figured out what family it is that's running the Lubbock Church. Now I better check and see if that's mine. It's not. I think I told you I was preaching a funeral the other day in Texas in the, and I heard someone's cell phone go off and I thought, boy, that ringer sounds familiar. It's just like mine. Come to find out it was my phone that was ringing. So um, thankfully it was during a song, so it wasn't quite so bad. But Brother Town said, I don't understand what you're talking about. And the individual said, well, we have figured out, and he called the name of the family, that's running the Lubbock Church. And Brother Towns, with all of his wisdom, he said, well, I really don't think that they're running the Lubbock Church, but if they are, I really like the way they're doing it. <laughs> so that totally put to rest, and it didn't go any further than that. Sometimes a deacon, with their wisdom, will have the opportunity to put something to rest early on. And what a blessing that that is. Now, in Acts chapter 6, we'll look at this and look at it in more detail. It says, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. And he tells us right here, he says, because their widows 
were neglected in the daily ministration. And it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Now, the setting right here is this. And keep in mind, there were not the, uh, the benefits, the government benefits that, that folks experience today. But there were widows that had been ministered to by the pastors. The pastors or the ministers were filling the role of meeting the needs of the widows. And by the way, you can go over into uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and we'll see here in just a minute that it tells us the age of those widows or individuals is uh, three score and above, 60 and above. He says that there were needs that were uh, not being met and it wasn't because the ministers were not desiring to meet those needs. There were needs of these widows that, that were not being addressed and it said there began to be murmurings back and forth. The ministers were doing all that they could to meet the needs, but they were still missing the mark. And while they were addressing and meeting the needs of the widows, it was taking them away of delivering the gospel message of being in uh, in communion with the Lord in prayer. And so. The Lord institutes this office and the main purpose of this office, the main purpose that it was set up for was to meet the needs of the widows. Now, it's not the, um, let me see if I can say this. It's not only the needs of the widows. That is just representative of folks that have a need that are unable to help themselves. That uh, it can be representative of others. Galatians chapter 6 says, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto those of the household of faith. So the mindset and the purpose and the responsibility of a deacon is to know the needs that are among the flock. It's described to us here as widows. Now, it's specifically widows, but it can be other needs as well. They're to know those needs, and the purpose of the deacon is to relieve the pastor of those responsibilities so the pastor can pray for the flock, so the pastor can study, so the pastor has the opportunity to preach the gospel, and that that can be his primary focus, not ministering to the needs of the widows. And that was why it was originally set up. It says that the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and they said, and these are those that were preaching the message, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. There's not any one person that can wear all the hats and do everything. There's not. It's not the responsibility of the pastor. It's not the responsibility of a deacon. It's the responsibility of everybody working together. But the deacon 
is to have a designated responsibility to see that those needs are met. The deacon does not have to meet those needs himself, but the deacon is the one that's to see that the needs that come about are taken care of and are met. It says, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And then he says, verse 3, he says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men. Now, at one point we had seven deacons at Mount Carmel. I, I don't believe that it has to be a certain number. I believe that every church should have at least one deacon. It's a blessing if you have multiple deacons. In the church that I grew up in, West Texas in Lubbock, when we served as deacons, there were 10 deacons. Brother Mike Rogers and myself were ordained as deacons two years before we were ordained into the ministry. And our pastor believed that it was important, even though he felt like that we would be ordained into the ministry, he felt like that it would be very helpful and very important if we served in that capacity with other deacons to know what areas needed to be addressed to know especially how to work together. That it's super important as deacons that if there's multiple deacons that they have the commitment and the mindset that they work together in harmony. As much as I said a deacon or deacons can be a great blessing. If Satan gets in the mind of a deacon and directs him away from working together with the other deacons or with the other past or with the pastor, it can be devastating to a church. It can. So let's look at what it says here. He says, wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. I believe that that just simply means in your church body. You don't run an ad in the paper to pick somebody for a deacon. You make sure that it's, when he says among you, that it's an individual or individuals in your church body, in your church family. And then he gives three requirements right here. He says, look out among you. Now, I mentioned this at our communion service, that we're taught when we are needing more preachers, and by the way, we do. Brother Steve and I both would, would uh, agree to that, that we need more ministers coming up. I'm thankful for Brother John. I'm, I'm thankful for those that are, uh, have a desire to share the word. We're taught if we need more ministers, we're to talk to the Lord. We're to take that request to the Lord. If we need more laborers among us, we're to go to the Lord. We certainly do that when we need deacons. We need to pray that God gives us the wisdom as a church body to select the ones that meet the qualifications. But he says, while we're praying and while we're asking the Lord and while we're begging God to give us direction on this, he says, then you go out among your flock and you select individuals. And here's the way the three requirements that he says right here. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us more requirements, but here's three requirements right here. He says, Wherefore look you out among you seven men 
First of all, he says of an honest report. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about and emphasizes that it's an individual of a good report, both within and without. He talks about the qualifications of ministers and deacons there. So basically, what that means, he says, men that are of an honest report. Almost everybody here, I believe, that I know, uh, and I don't, I don't spend any time on Facebook. I, I, don't, I don't go there. I, I, I personally, that's not time well spent for me, maybe for others, but that's, I found a better use of my time. But as far as I know, everybody that's here's of an honest report. But what it means is not only an honest report while you're at church on Sunday morning, when you're together for an hour and a half on Sunday, but it means an honest report from those folks that you work with in the workplace through the week. It means an honest report with your family and with people in the community. Uh, those of you that will remember this individual can relate to what I'm telling you right here. Brother Phil, your uncle, Oris Jackson, his report that he had in the community lived here probably 50 plus years, was in business with people in the community. The report that he had at church mirrored the report that he had in the community as well. And what he's saying right here is simply this. We shouldn't have one report when we're away from the church and another one when we're at church. And he says, when you're looking out among you to find an individual that meets these qualifications, you need to make sure that this individual is honest both in your presence and in your absence as well. Their life the other six days of the week needs to match their testimony on Sunday morning as well. So he says, first of all, you look out among you men that are of an honest report. And then the second one, he says, Men that are full of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that uh, they're holy rollers, that uh, uh, they're speaking in tongues and, 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 and things like that. What it simply means is that when they make decisions in their life, that they look to the Lord to guide them. That when they make decisions for their family... They seek the Lord. They seek the blessings of the Lord. They seek the presence of the Lord. They seek the spirit of the Lord to direct and to guide them. And the reason that this is so important, the reason that this is so important is because the individuals that are appointed, that are selected, that are ordained to this role, they're going to be dealing with a whole lot of different issues. They're going to be dealing with the funds that are donated by individuals with the disbursement of those funds. They're going to be dealing with uh, issues that come up within the church, with families, with children. They're going to be dealing with so many different areas and issues that they don't need to make those decisions based on their own experience solely. Experience can be a factor in it. But that 
sometimes you have to step aside from yourself and say, what does God's word have to say about it? That they need to be able to go to God's word to get the answer. You can't run a church like you run a corporation. Doesn't work that way. It doesn't. Uh, maybe there are some churches that can, but the old Baptist, it just doesn't work that way. It takes the direction and blessing of the Lord. And it takes men that are willing to step aside from their own preferences, their own thoughts and say, what does God's word have to say about this? And before they give an answer or before they make a decision that they're willing to pray to God, to ask God to direct them and bless them. And they're willing to look to the Lord and not based on their own preferences and desires. Everybody here has their own preferences and desires. At my house, if you come to my house, the thermostat's set on 72, period. That's where it's at. I go to some other folks' homes and it's 68 and I feel like I need to wear long johns. I go to some older folks and it's 78 and I feel like I'm going to have a heat stroke. Some folks, my grandparents would, I mean, they played with the thermo, when they got an air condition with the thermostat, they adjusted that according to their lifestyle of the day. And depending on what time of day you went there, it would be a different temperature uh, depending on what they were doing throughout the day. And at night, they just turned it completely off. I mean, that's just how they'd always done it. Everybody has their own preference and desire. And when you serve in the capacity of a deacon, Sometimes you have to put your own preferences and desires aside and say, what is good for the cause of the church? You also need to prefer your brother above yourself. Uh, brother Kilby's here and he, he's faithfully served in this capacity and he's labored. He's labored with young deacons. He's labored with deacons that were older than he was. Uh, he, he, he's labored in many different capacities. And, and, and Brother Kilby can tell you that it's a great blessing when you get a group of men together that can labor together for the cause of Christ. Now, I'm going to just skip on down here. It, it tells us that, that when this happens, when you have the pastor and the deacons laboring together in this capacity, it says that the word of God increased the the uh, the flock multiplied the church grew when these things are put in place and individuals are working together in this capacity. The end result is that God who designed it pours out his blessings upon it and it's good for the flock. It's good for the pastor, it's good for the deacons, it's good for the children, and it honors the Lord, and the Lord pours His blessings out upon it. The Lord's the one that designed it. Here's a really good example. Here's, here's probably one of the best examples I see in the Scriptures about this. Really good example. Exodus uh, chapter 17. Here's three old men. That'd be Brother Steve, Brother Chuck, and myself, just about. Maybe not, but uh, here's three old men. Moses, 
Aaron maybe was a little younger and her a little bit younger than that. But it talks about that in chapter 17, that when the enemy of the Israelites came upon them, that as long as Moses was able to stand up and hold the rod of God on the top of the mountain, Moses was an old man, past 80 years old when this happened, that as long as the children of Israel could see the rod of God that Moses was holding up in his arms, that they were strengthened, they were encouraged when they looked upon that, and they were victorious over the enemy. But it says that Moses, as they were engaged in this battle with the Amalekites, it says Moses, an old man, Moses' arms got heavy. And I can tell you, I can understand what he's talking about right there. It says when Moses' arms got heavy and his arms began to drop and the Israelites could not see the rod of God, it says all of a sudden the enemy began to prevail. Sometimes the arms of the minister get weary along the way for a variety of reasons. And sometimes they begin to drop a little bit along the way. In fact, in Proverbs, it says where there is no vision, the people perish. If the minister loses sight of the vision for the church of Jesus Christ, it's going to affect the church in a negative way. Sometimes the ministers get weary along the way. But the Lord arranged in his in his arrangement for the church. He arranged the role of the pastor and the role of the deacons. And one of the great benefits and blessings of the deacons is that they can hold up the arms of the pastor when the pastor gets weary. That doesn't have to mean literally the arms, but it can mean other ways that the pastor becomes weary along the way. The symbol that he gives right here is that as long as the pastor has the vision his arms are being held up. Folks can see the rod of God. They're going to be victorious over the enemy. The Lord's people deserve. Brother John, you're going to be in this role at some point. The Lord's people deserve to be encouraged by the pastor. The pastor needs to pray that God will encourage him. To encourage the Lord's people. But they deserve to be encouraged. I had a minister tell me one time. He said. If you get discouraged. You better not share it with the flock. Because within two minutes. Everybody else will be discouraged. He said as a pastor. You don't have the luxury. To be discouraged among the flock. Now some folks might discuss that. And debate that. The pastor has. The same struggles that everybody else has. But one of the great blessings during those challenges and during those struggles is that God blesses with godly deacons that are full of the Holy Ghost, that seek the Holy Ghost. He says right here, he says that when Moses' arms became weary and heavy, that Aaron got on one side and her got on the other side 
and they begin to hold the arms of Moses up, I can just see that in my mind just as clear as it can be. I'll say old Deacon Aaron and old Deacon Herb on each side of Moses. And when they held up the arms of Moses, all of a sudden the people were encouraged and they were victorious over the enemy. That's how God has designed it. That's the purpose. The purpose of the deacon is to minister to the needs, especially of the widows, and of the pastor, and of the flock, for the purpose of the gospel being proclaimed. That's the whole purpose of it, is that the gospel can be proclaimed, that the pastor can give his mind to prayer and to preaching the word, and that the gospel can be proclaimed. So... That's a great example in Acts chapter 17. So there were three things here that he says. He says, Wherefore look ye out among you seven men of an honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. And then he says one more thing right here. So when he says full of the Holy Ghost, you're looking to the Lord for direction. You're seeking the Lord for direction. You're asking the Lord to intervene. You're, you're wanting to be guided by the Spirit of the Lord, uh, you're asking the Lord to, to give you direction. And then the next one right here, the third one that he says. He says, honest, full of the Holy Ghost, and then he says, and wisdom. Wisdom. I've heard it said that some churches would like to have a young pastor with 25 years experience. Just two just don't really go together. But they would like the experience because there's some things that a minister learns through life that would be helpful. James chapter 1 tells us this. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. There's things that, that come my way that, that sometimes I just don't have the answer for. Maybe I've looked in God's Word and I've not found where it addresses it clearly in God's Word. There's a situation that maybe I need direction in and I'm just not sure exactly what the right answer is. And when that happens... I realize that I don't have the wisdom I need to make that decision. But I know someone that I can go to that can give me the wisdom to make that decision. And so there are times that I'll go before the Lord and I'll say, Lord, I just don't know what to do. But I know that you do. I know that you have a right way. I know that you have the right answer. There's not any place else that I can look. There's nobody that I know that would have this answer. But Lord, I know that you do. Would you give me wisdom to know what to do in this situation? And he tells us, he says, if we lack wisdom, we're to go to the Lord and we're to ask him. And he says, the good news is, 
That even if we've gone before the Lord a thousand times before and asked him and said, Lord, I need wisdom again and again and again. And would you help me right now? He says, even if we've gone before the Lord over and over, it says that the Lord will not upbraid us. What does he mean? The Lord's not going to chastise us for asking him for wisdom. In fact, the Lord delights to give us wisdom. So what he says right here is that when you look out among you, he says, you look for men that are honest of an honest report, both within and without. And he says, men that are full of the Holy Ghost and men that that seek God for wisdom. And he says, whom we may appoint over this business. Now, I want to touch on this. I'm not going to finish this today, but let me just touch on this. The, it, it tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3, um, he talks about in more detail about the responsibilities and the requirements, more the requirements of a, of a minister and of a deacon. I, I'll tell you what, it's almost 12, and I'm going to just give you some homework. My pastor used to say, I'm going to give you some homework. Here's some homework. Go home and read 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is about the office of a bishop or a minister and the office of a deacon. And if the Lord blesses, we'll, we'll address that next week. 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says right here in 1 Timothy 5, he says, If any widow have children or nephews, verse 4, says, Honor widows that are widows indeed. It is the responsibility of the church to make sure that the widows or those that represent those that are unable to help themselves, whether it be widows or orphans or others that may have an affliction that need help, that the church see that those needs are met. But it first falls right here on the children. And if you look up the other word it says nephews if you look that up it actually means grandchildren so the first place that it's supposed to be is the children and the grandchildren now there may be a number of reasons that the children or the grandchildren do not fulfill that role i had an aunt that lived to be she was a hundred years old and she was in a nursing home and her only living daughter was 80 years old and she was in a nursing home and there was no way that her 80 year old daughter in a nursing home could could meet the needs of the mother who was also in a nursing home that's the role of the church to recognize and to meet that need but he says right here if any widow have children or nephews he says, and there's two things here. He said, let them learn first to show piety or kindness at home and to requite. That simply means to repay their parents for that is good and acceptable before God. And all of this chapter five addresses that. It ministered to me in my life. I pray it will minister to you as well. It's primarily the responsibility of the children and grandchildren. But if for some reason that's not being met, it's the responsibility of the church to meet that need. Now, it may be that children have not been taught. Maybe the, 
the children have not been taught that this is their responsibility. Maybe the children are not physically able because of uh, impairments that they have. In those cases, if there's a need, it's the church's responsibility to see that those widows, that their needs are met. I have another aunt. I, I share these experiences with you, but uh, she's in her 80s, and she said, uh, she said, I just barely can make ends meet. She said, I just, I, I, I pay my bills and there's just not much left. And she says, I can just barely pay my bills on my own. I said, I, I'll tell you her name. I said, Aunt Mary, I said, you're rich. She said, what do you mean? I said, you're rich. You have two children that have the means to provide for you. And they do it. I said, you've got a blank check. I said, you're rich. Elder Zach Guest said, he said, I've got the best insurance policy that money can buy. I think he has 10 children, 11 children, something like that. He says, I've taught every single one of those children that if I pass away, and he says, I probably will because he's probably about 15 years older than, than Sister Judy. He says, if I pass from this life, he says, I've taught every single one of my children that it is their responsibility to see that their mother's needs are met. He said, that's the best insurance policy money can buy. He said, and I've also told them I'll come back from the grave and haunt them if they don't. <laughs> There's a variety of reasons. And when that comes into play, it's the church's responsibility. It's the primary role of the deacons. It says to serve tables. And that just simply means that there's not a widow among us that has a need that's not addressed or met. In, uh, in, in James, uh, it says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. And it says, To visit the fatherless in their affliction... And the widows that are in need as well. And that's, it sums up what um, pure religion undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. Three things. To visit the fatherless, the widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. He said there's three things right here that summarize what pure religion is. Three things. You take care of the orphans. Those that can't take care of themselves, you take care of the widows, those that have need and can't care for themselves, and you keep yourself unspotted from the world. And he said, that's what pure religion is. 1 Timothy chapter 3 addresses the qualifications. I would encourage you to go and look at that and study it, and Lord willing, we'll preach on that over the next week or so. The... The office, as I've mentioned, of the deacon and the minister, when they're working together in harmony, in union, it's a great, great encouragement. It's a great blessing. It's a great witness for the flock, for the church as a whole. The church can thrive. The church can grow. The needs that arise can be met, can be taken care of. It's not something that has to burden the entire flock. 
I, I, the church that I grew up in when I first started and, 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 and in the South, churches function differently in the South. The makeup is different. Some of the churches in the South have a, uh, what they call a conference meeting uh, once a month. I don't know if they still do that. Some have uh, probably gotten away from that. But they go down through this list of things and everything is brought up from in a conference meeting from changing out a hot water heater as to what brand of hot water heater it is to uh, are we going to put an ice machine in or are we going to uh, uh, have the roof repaired, uh, the heater fixed, things like that. I believe that if God blesses with able deacons, all those things can be addressed and the congregation can focus upon uh, serving the Lord and in growing spiritually speaking, but not worrying about changing out the hot water heater. One of the first conference meetings that I went to was 15 years old. And uh, uh, just to tell you my dissatisfaction to conference meetings, one old sister got up and she said, well, somebody needs to start bringing the ice for church. This is back before we had um, ice machines. You know, you had those little trays you twisted out and stuff like that. And said, you, we need to have somebody bring ice to the church. And another one spoke up and said, well, I'll bring it for a couple of months, but I'm not going to bring it as long as you have. And the other sister got up and said, well, I've been bringing it for four years. And I'm tired of bringing the ice. And all of a sudden, folks that were in the spirit got out of the spirit real quick. And I thought, what does this have to do with serving the Lord? You know, that's something that shouldn't really be a distraction to the folks as a whole. Let's just somebody bring the ice. And if somebody doesn't do it, somebody else can do it. Uh, humorous story. We were preaching a meeting up in uh, not too far from Andrew, and Sarah, up in uh, Roxbury, New York. And there was one old brother there that uh, in his 80s and he was in the congregation. The church hadn't met in many years. He was the caretaker and uh, I was holding a service and Elder Compton got up to preach uh, before I did. And he's he's bringing a message. Elder Compton was 100 years old and and still of a sharp mind, but he was delivering a message. And he was 15 minutes into the sermon and he said, and some folks think the only role of a deacon is to pass the plate. Some of you may have been there. And that old brother, that's all he heard Brother Compton say was the role of the deacon was to pass the plate. That old brother gets up 20 minutes into the service, just like we are right now. And he just starts passing the plate. So he thought he meant pass it right then. The point Brother Compton had was there's a whole lot of responsibilities of a deacon. And it's primarily to minister to those that are in need. It's primarily to help so, so that the church can prosper and flourish and grow. It's to free up the hands of the pastor so that the pastor doesn't have those responsibilities. When, when we were at the Lubbock Church, our pastor designated two deacons a month to labor together uh, each month. And it was their responsibility to go to the hospitals, not the pastor. The pastor still went. But it was their responsibility to go to the hospitals. Lubbock was a hub for people. And when people came from other towns there and were in the hospital, and there was always somebody in the hospital, usually four or five different individuals. They would go together and they would minister together to those folks that were in the hospital. Those deacons grew together. They grew more closely. 
the flock knew of the needs, those needs were met, and it was a prosperous time, and the Lord added to the church. It was a great blessing at that time. This may not have been a real spiritual message, but I feel like that it's uh, one of the offices that the Lord's designed, and I feel like that it's something we need to consider as a church body. And I'm thankful that we have men among us that as you go through and read 1 Timothy chapter 3, you'll see that God has blessed us with men among us that fit this description. If they have the desire to fulfill this role, it'd be a blessing. The deacons have a tremendous opportunity to set a great example for the rest of the flock. A great blessing. An encouragement to the pastor, an encouragement to the flock. Please go through and read 1 Timothy chapter 3 and chapter 5. Both are really, really good in that respect. May God bless you.